Welcome to 3 PR. I'm your host, Adam R. And on this episode, I have Lenny DePaul, U.S. Marshal retired, Secret Service retired, and TV personality from Manhunters, and also Hunting Hitler. Lenny, how are you doing? Doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad, you, I'm glad to have you. I much appreciate your time. I've watched your show uh, with faith, the Manhunter show. With faith, I watched that. Well, you, you you are too kind. That was a that was an interesting show. I mean, we I think we shot about sixty four episodes, and uh, it certainly was positive press for the U.S. Marshals and all of our task force uh, uh, men and women that are downrange doing God's work every day. So they they appreciated the positive press. That's for sure. Yeah, indeed. I mean, and then you know, even the show that the way they did it with the um, the overhead uh, satellite imaging, or it showed like the map and your different positions and the chemistry right. with you guys. It was perfect. That was a great show. Yeah, they, I mean, the production company, Morningstar Entertainment, they were they were ahead of the curve on this stuff, the technology that was utilized. And, of course, we helped we helped a little bit. Uh, oh, I'd uh, say a lot made, of it. <laughs> made some good suggestions, but uh, uh, it, it did well. I mean, the show was, uh, you know, it lasted three seasons. Probably should have went longer from what I heard, but um, um, it, it went well. And we're, and we're global, as you know. I mean, we, you know, my task force, the New York, New Jersey Regional Fugitive Task Force is, uh, you know, it's 13 offices within both states, New York and New Jersey, but we're a global operation. Yeah, I, I personally wish that show was still around, to be honest, especially now, right? Because um, the dynamic between you and your team on that particular show, was, it, was, it was great. And it, they, these were not just, you know, real detectives, but they were likable people. They were very, um, you could relate to them, right? They're your everyday person. And it, it, took, it takes away that stigma of them being like a federal agent or, or a detective. And you see the real person. You hit the nail right on the head. I mean, the men and women that, that are part of this task force and all of our task forces worldwide, um, they're real people. They're your next door neighbors. They're your coaches of your, your baseball teams and your football teams. And, and uh, you see them in church and, in, in, you know, online in the food store. So, and, and I appreciate you saying that because, you know, so, especially in today's climate, uh, it's a little tough, a little tough out there for law enforcement. Uh, it shouldn't be, uh, but sadly it is. And hopefully it goes away sooner than later. But, you know, the men and women that, that do God's work and they're up every Every morning, you know, holidays, weekends. I mean, George George Orwell put it the best. He said, "People sleep peaceably in their beds at night because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf." Well, these are the men and women that are that are doing that type of work, keeping these communities a safe place, and and uh, for kids to go to school and mom to hang out at Starbucks and have a cup of coffee and whatnot. But uh, you know, it's it's the show Manhunters and the, and the men and women that we had on that show, or at least the six or seven regulars. Um, yeah, they're real people. I had a lot of fun. I mean, you know, it's dangerous work. Don't get me wrong. I mean, when you're standing in front of a door at old dark 30, uh, going after a guy that just uh, burnt the trailer down with five kids in it and killed all of them, he don't want to go to jail. And, and don't you think for one second that he doesn't want to kill you first before he does. And, and uh, um, you know, you got to know who's on your left, who's on your right, who's behind you and execute those, uh, uh, those warrants and, and uh, make sure that everybody's on the same sheet of music. So we had a great crew. Uh, we knew when to laugh. We knew when to cry. <laughs> we yeah. knew when to, and we knew when to fight, or or if we had to run, or whatever we needed to do, we did it, and we were successful. So thank you for that. Yeah, it was a it was a great show. It was informative. Um, you know, the, the um, you had Roxy and Pep and yourself and the chemistry there, and it, you know, Roxy watching her, I, I was impressed because at that time, it, you know, men were foreseen as as the badasses that are out there handling business. And she was just boom. She was one step. She was on your heels the whole time. She was on it. So yeah, you had to get you had to get up a little earlier in the morning to put one over on on Roxy or Michi. Uh, both both the uh, yeah uh, yeah Michi. The, yeah yeah. <laughs> she was uh, she wasn't anybody you wanted to you wanted to get on your wrong side or your bad side either. Um, but they knew their stuff. I mean, they they were tactically sound. Um, uh, I would go through any door anywhere in the world with both of them, um, and, and enjoyed working with them. They knew what they were doing. Uh, you know, you got to remember, too, that we're fugitive investigators. We, You know, when somebody's on the run, it doesn't matter what the crime is. Um, you know, I got that intense manhunt going on, but you also have a fugitive investigation going on behind the scenes. So um, the people that do this type of work, they're pretty good at it. I mean, especially in today's world with with this digital footprint and, and uh 
you know, all this, this lovely stuff with cellular intercepts and things that our technical operations group get into, our electronic surveillance units, our financial surveillance units. I mean, we're way ahead of the curve on this stuff. So it, you know, life on the run is not as, I don't want to say easy, but, uh, you know, I always say it, it, you can run, but you can't hide. When you run, you only go to jail tired, Adam. Yep, it's true. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, yeah. watch it, even watching that show for me, it, I was in a position where I became interested in the marshal service, even me. And yeah. Oh yeah. Their, their recruiting lines were ringing off the hook from what I understand in Washington, DC, where our headquarters is. Um, I would get positive feedback. And well, let me back up. I didn't want to do this. I mean, we just launched a congressionally funded fugitive task force. The U S marshals were mandated by Congress to establish permanent fugitive task forces throughout the country. So my task force, the New York, New Jersey, a regional fugitive task force was the flagship. We were the model. Uh, so it was post 9-11. It was May of 02 when we were stood up. And then I get a call from these producers. They kept calling and calling. And finally, I, I told our public affairs folks in D.C. I said, look, it, I don't know what they want. I said, but I have no time for this. I've got the biggest and largest task force of its kind in the world that I'm trying to run. Uh, we're congressionally funded. So I, I, I kind of punted to those guys. <laughs> they got back to me and said, Lenny, look it. We're congressionally funded. What a great way to show the, the American taxpayers on how some of their money's being stent, sent or uh, spent, rather. Why don't you entertain a meeting with these guys? <laughs> I said, are you for real? So anyhow, they came in and there's these two guys from New York. They sat down and they looked around. We had a beautiful office in downtown Manhattan. Um, and, and they walked in and they said, wow, this is, a, this is great. This is a parole office, right? And I said, well, <laughs> parole's here, but so is 92 other agencies. And they both looked at each other and they said, I think we hit the mother load. So it was like, <laughs> you know, they had no idea what they were getting into. So, you know, fast forward, we, uh, you know, A&E loved it. They came in and the production company from Los Angeles said, we want to do this. And they signed a contract and I had a, you know, I was gone. I mean, 24 seven, I was doing real work and then Hollywood work and then real work again and then pickups and <laughs> just, yeah. Know, Flying around the world, so not to ramble on, but it was it was a little hectic on my end. No, it was but, good. It worked. It worked out well. Listen, by all means, ramble. I enjoy. It. Look, I'm happy to have you on beyond what you know. Right? This is like starstruck for me. Um, I'm glad you did that show. It put a really positive light. It it also informed people what the Marshall Service is. It's not just. Uh, it's made up of all like different agencies and some of the best of those agencies and and again yeah. to make to let people see the 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 agents as people and their perspectives and it was a it's a i think it was well done and i think it needs to happen again especially now oh i'm i'm 100 on board with that and i mean with respect to our task force just to put that into perspective as the model i mean right now there's eight regional task forces throughout the country we're on the ground in several countries throughout the world uh vulnerable areas mexico city and other other spots that people love to run to <laughs> we're there so uh but our task force to put it into perspective, I, I had, and they still do, they have 350 full-time investigators from over 90 different federal, state, local agencies. Think about that. We operated out of 13 offices. We were headquartered in downtown Manhattan. The specific language in the mandate from Congress was to target the most dangerous, violent felony fugitives across the globe. And they listed them, terrorists, murderers, rapists, arsonists, gun runners, drug runners, the worst of the worst. So we hit the ground running and the numbers are staggering, Adam. We were averaging anywhere from 100 to 120 arrests a week just in my region alone of violent predators. Every one of them averaging six to eight prior arrests. Those numbers are staggering. And today, the U.S. Marshal Service they're averaging about anywhere from 70 to 90,000 arrests a year across this country of violent felony fugitives. Those numbers are insane. And they want to defund the police. I almost fell out of my chair when I heard that. Yeah, that kills me to hear that. And I'm going to I'll tell you why. I mean, when you have incidents where people are walking in stores, taking merchandise and walking out, and the owners not only not do anything, but it's, it's commonplace. And that's terrible. It's, it's awful. It's, it, it's sad. I mean, it's it's just, it's nuts. I don't get it. I just don't understand. And I, okay, I get the store owners or the, or the managers or the, or the employees. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to, you know, get sued. Obviously, cell phones are out. Everybody's taking videos. You're watching people load their pillowcases up filled with merchandise and just, you know, walking out the front door. And, yeah. and uh, hopefully, 
somebody prosecutes or makes an arrest later on. But boy, what a message that that you're sending people in in the you know downrange uh, that hey, it's okay if you need if you need to stock up for Christmas, just come to my store. That's nuts. That's that's stupid. I I just don't understand it. I really I, don't. I said this on on another podcast, and you know let's let's erase the criminal element for a minute. Let's say your children go missing. You need right. a large network like law enforcement to, to put up a, a web to help find them, like professionals who are in sync and in communication. You're not, you sure. know, it, and then try to imagine a world where we're trying to justify the law amongst ourselves. I, I couldn't do it. There's no way. Because <laughs> without. Well, <laughs> right. And, and the U.S. Marshal Service, I mean, we bring a lot to the table. We have, uh, and we work well with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. We have our own uh, task forces within the Marshal Service that focus on human trafficking and and especially with the younger um you know the boys and girls that are going and missing kids i mean we i think they were you can google this their numbers 30 40 50 they arrest uh every other month in different areas around the country not arrest that they find i'm sorry uh of missing kids that the u.s marshals do so it's just uh ludicrous to, to sit back and say well you know the police are bad and we need to defund them and 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 who who do you call? I mean, what is, you know who's suffering, Adam? Especially here in New York. I'm in New York, and yeah, NYPD. I mean, who wants a risk of pension? Who wants to, uh, you know, get themselves jammed up for for what? For nothing. And the right. people that are suffering is grandma, you know, who who's sitting in her apartment being burglarized and God forbid raped or and, and whatever. They're not responding, and and you know, I kind of get it. It's it's sad, but. Uh, uh, it's terrible. It's terrible all the way around, any way you look at it. But people are starting to wake up, though. I'll give, I'll give, I'll give you that. They're, They're going to have to. I mean, listen, yeah. some isolated incidents happen. I know police brutality exists, no doubt. And yes, of course. and they're yeah. on video, no doubt. But you know what we need more of is positive police videos. And the only right. you don't see citizens pulling their, their cameras out when the cops are doing something positive. Right. So, right. There's this group of people that go around. And look, I'm saying I understand if you're going to pull your phone out to record uh, uh, you know, so an, an interaction between you and a law enforcement agent. I get you want to protect yourself, but there's a difference. There's these people that are running around. They're running around in the, the name of the First Amendment, and they're going to police stations. They're recording. Co I don't agree with that. You're provoking right. problems. You're not a professional journalist, journalist. You're not a lawyer by any means. And just because you study some law and memorize it, doesn't give you the right to go harass people just to get that aha video on YouTube. It's nonsense. Right. No, I, I agree. And, and you're right. That That is what's happening out there. But you know something? Yeah, there's bad cops. There's bad doctors. There's bad everything. Yeah, <laughs> who, don't, who don't know that? That's a given. It has to be. But you know that's why that's why the uh, you know the New York Post is is a thin newspaper because if it was really really thick it would be filled with good news. Right. It's only bad news that you know that's out there. So it, it, it's just uh, you know it it is sad that people just want to focus on a, on a specific narrative. I think it's a lot bigger than everyone's talking about. Um, but you know especially false narratives, especially things that have been proven wrong, not to mention names or or, or areas or, or police officers or whatever, but. A lot of these these incidents that go down um, that are caught on video, you get a certain segment, you know, a little piece of that video, and it goes viral. The mainstream media jumps all over it, yep. and then they find out six months later that's not what happened, <laughs> you know, uh, or that's not what was said. And hands up, don't shoot. That never happened. I mean, it's like it's just it's a continual nightmare. Yes, there are bad cops. I'll be the first one to tell you. Uh, and I spent the past three decades in law enforcement hunting down violent predators. Um, thank God I didn't deal with many, maybe a couple that I can eat. I can't even remember. But, you know, in my world, when you're going after people uh, that are doing, you know, crazy crimes and homicides and, and, and terrorists and whatnot, you don't have time for the nonsense. So, right. yep. you know. It's like you got to hit the ground running. You have to be well-trained, well-prepared, tactically sound when you're making an entry at O-Dark 30 in, in somebody's house or wherever. And, and uh, you know, you just got to be prepared and, and uh, you put your life in their hands. And, and uh, that's, you know, that speaks volumes in itself. Yeah. I, and here, the big, again, for me, the big thing, and I, I, if I could convey any message to the public, when you see positive <clears throat> interactions with police, record that. Feel right. free. I challenge you to record that. Do you want to be a First Amendment warrior, whatever it is they call themselves? Record mm -hmm. the positives. Stop looking to provoke a negative for your likes and, and just for a video. It drives me crazy when I watch that. I can't stand it.
Absolutely. And I've seen a lot of positive videos out there. And thank God, just what you're saying, people are doing, um, showing the good in, in police officers around this around this country, because there is a whole lot of them out there uh, and doing doing great work and, and preventing a lot of crimes. And, and uh, you know, like I said, people sleep peaceably in their beds at night. Uh, because uh, because of the men and women that do this type of work. So God bless them all, man. Yeah, I really think they should bring your show back. I think Manhunter <laughs> should be back because I, for me, again, like I watched it and it inspired me to be a one a part of that, right? For, right, for right. you, well, Lenny. Unfortunately, the you know, networks now are, are kind of taking a back seat to live PD, live television, you know, yeah, but, live anything, but, uh, you know. I mean, it wouldn't be a step for the marshals to say, hey, look, it's 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 this era, and we can make our own show. We don't need a network now. No one needs a network yeah. anymore, you know? That's right. Yeah, it's yeah true. you're right. Yeah, you guys could just get out there, hire a film guy to tag along, and just your, your dynamic and the personalities. Like, you exhibited a good leader. You know, your leadership qualities were very present in that show. And you could see that your your colleagues admired you and respected you, and and then you could see your respect for them. Like it was, it lets you know that there's a family unit to that bond, right? And I think that's really important to reinforce. Well, we have to be. It's a mutual respect, and and uh, you know, I always told them, don't take my kindness for weakness. But I, I, you know, they appreciated the way I, you know, held court, if you will, yeah. and, and, and conducted business, and and our results prove that and and you know when you surround yourself with good people you got to remember when we when this task force was stood up in may of 02 9-11 just happened the fbi was focusing on domestic terrorism and and rightfully so uh, but congress said you know what we got to take a look in our own backyards there's a lot going on so that's when they mandated the u.s marshals to establish um you know these permanent fugitive task forces we, were, we had them already not permanent ones but within the districts but not a full-time Gig. And I can tell you a little bit about the history with the Marshal Service here in a second. But with respect to, uh, with respect, do I still have you? I'm sorry. Yep, yeah, you're good. So um, with respect to the, you know, the task force itself, um, you know, we, we had state and local folks in our area, smaller jurisdictions, smaller police departments. We had to go in and say, Hi everyone, we're here from the government. We're here to help, <laughs> you know. And, and you, you know, there's not many people that trust um, the federal government. And and I, and I don't want to, you know, misspeak here, but when you're a local police department and and a three a three letter agency walks in, and I won't mention who, <laughs> but hi, you know, we're here to help you with your case. And meanwhile, they're you know you're stepping on toes. And and but the U.S. Marshal Service, we're known as we're looked at as cops. We're cops. I mean, people see us as police officers, as detectives, street people. We're not suits and ties. And, right. You know what I mean? So it, that helped immensely. And when we came in and said, listen, we have state-of-the-art equipment, funding, manpower, um, you know, overtime. You know, we can assist. If you, if you want to give us one or two of your detectives, you're not losing two detectives. You're gaining 350 people. You know, as far as deputizing your state and local uh, folks, we'll do that for two years while they're attached to our task force. That gives them pretty much the same authority that I have with the U.S. Marshals, crossing state lines, jumping on airplanes, chasing people around the world. Um, and it made life so much easier with this force multiplier, uh, with all these different agencies on board. Yes, the first uh, few months, maybe a year, it was a little, you know, convincing, if you will. You know, the, hey, hey, guys, this is what we're all about. We're funded by Congress. It's your money. It's American taxpayers' dollars. Um, we're here to go after your violent fugitives for you. We want to help you. We do this for a living. And the next thing you know, we were off and running. I mean, we hit the ground running, like I said, in May of 02, and we, we never looked back. Um, and the numbers are staggering. The, the, the people that we took off the streets of America that first couple of years, it's just, and I can give you a list of them. They're, not that they were high media attention, well-known, highlighted cases, but bad people. I mean, these are bad people, Adam. It's, yeah. not, it's not like these are turnstile jumpers or deadbeat dads. These are these are murderers and rapists and these sex offenders. And I can go on and on and on and on. So, anyways, the task force it did well, and we it proved itself. We now have eight of them uh, across the country. But uh, I can tell you a little bit about the agency. 
Um, for your listeners, if they, they're not aware of the U.S. Marshal Service, we are the oldest federal law enforcement agency in this country. Uh, in 1789, George Washington appointed the first 13 U.S. Marshals. Uh, and we pretty much have the same authority and job description as they did back then. And it's protection of uh, judicial personnel, uh, the U.S. attorneys and so on. We have the prisoner transportation units, uh, the asset seizure program where we seize uh, federal assets and, until, the, until they're adjudicated in court or whatever. And that's houses and fast boats and cars and you name it. <laughs> you know, we have that program. The witness protection program that everybody's well aware of with Sammy the Bull Gravano and Mickey Featherstone and all those big name witnesses that jump on board Team USA and helped out the federal government to arrest people. Uh, and then they have the investigative operations division that I was part of for three decades. And that's the uh, that's the fugitive uh, investigators, the manhunters, if you will, uh, of the world. So we do a variety of law enforcement. Um, there's 94 districts in this country. Every district is headed by a presidential appointed U.S. Marshal. They carry a gold shield. All the chief deputies on down have a silver shield. So you got the deputy U.S. Marshal supervisors. Uh, assistant chiefs and chief deputies. The chief deputy in the district, that's the career person. That's the person, the man or, or woman who climbed the corporate ladder, knows everything about that specific district. And, and uh, the U.S. Marshal comes and goes with the administration. So the president appoints. Uh, that's been going on since 1789. It's never changed. It used to be that years ago, if you were the local librarian and you knew somebody in Congress, you, you, were the, you became the U.S. Marshal. Um, now you uh, obviously now there's a little bit of a prerequisite with a, yeah. with law, a law enforcement background and, and so on and so forth. But anyways, that's just a crash course on the U.S. Marshals and and uh, you know it's such a storied agency, Adam. I mean, there a year and a half ago, finally in Fort Smith, Arkansas, they broke ground on a U.S. Marshals museum. You got to see this place. You can Google it. U.S. Marshals. I got to go. I can't. I, I got to go. Uh, <laughs> so. uh, I got to go. I actually sit on the board. I was supposed to be out there last month doing a uh, a, uh, a presentation on 9-11 and whatnot. And sadly, I got COVID <laughs> finally and, and uh, I couldn't make it. But um, I haven't been myself. But you, when you look at this thing online, it's just fascinating. But finally, after how many years? Um, uh, you know, U.S. Marshals in the history with the Wyatt Earps and riding horses and now uh, fast forward to uh, flying fast helicopters and planes and whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great agency. I was, I was proud to be a part of it. But I did. You're right. I did six years with the United States Secret Service. Uh, I was in Washington, D.C. for those six years. And then I got a call one day from a colleague who, says, uh, who went over to the U.S. Marshals. He says, you got to come over to this agency. They just got into the fugitive program where they're hunting people or jumping. I said, what the hell is a U.S. Marshal? I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, he said, you got to do so anyways. Long story short, I did. I applied. Uh, back then, you could do a lateral transfer as a, as a federal agent within, you know, within the government. They call them 1811s, uh, um, criminal investigators. And uh, so I did. Took a lateral transfer over, went back to Brooklyn, New York, and that was it. I never looked back. So it was un it's undoubtedly more exciting in the Marshal Service than the Secret Service, right? Well, I mean, the Secret Service is a is is the obvious. I mean, it's it's a great name. Um, it, it's it's certainly when I was there and I was with President Reagan. Uh, I was at the White House actually for three years, and when we traveled, they rolled out the red carpet from it for you. I mean, it's it's just such a prestigious agency and and you're with you know you're with the president of the united states you're with the first family the vice president um and but the investigative side and again i'm not bashing anything or anybody love all our agencies but credit card fraud forgery um you know things that they're doing computer fraud and I, that just wasn't my thing you know what i mean i just didn't I wasn't one to sit there and, and do an investigation and sit on trial for three to five months. And, and uh, I just, I needed to be out in the field. Doing what I, yeah. Do, absolutely. Doing what I did for three decades, you know, jumping on, on planes and you know, jumping across state lines, hunting down people. And there, there is, you know, I hate to quote people, but Ernest Hemingway, he's another one that put it best. He said, there is no hunting like the hunting of man. And those who have hunted armed men long enough and liked it, Never cared to do anything else thereafter. It just gets in your blood, Adam. Yeah, I mean, I could see why. I mean, again, to 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 go back to the show, like I remember an episode where you guys were in New York one minute, and that day you had to go to Miami, you know. And yeah. so, 
dude. I was and impressed that's... by that. Like the, the 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 energy and the enthusiasm to get out there and do it. And you found your guy, by the way, in the show. I was remarkably impressed at the steps you and the measures taken. It was flawless. Well, you know, back think about prior to that though, and I, and again, I, I was in the Warren Squad, a Fusion Squad forever. Um, you know how difficult could it have been where we didn't have these task forces? You had to pick up a phone and call somebody in another district because you needed to send a collateral lead. They were too busy in court or they were doing whatever. So you call a local, you know, uh, Barney Fife kind of a guy in a local sheriff's department, you know, they're not going to execute a warrant or, or, or hit a house, so to speak, or, ex- you know, uh, make an entry the way we would. They'll send an officer to the back, maybe, or two guys will go to the front door, the fugitive will run out the back door. These task forces are so valuable. I mean, they, we get work done at the speed of the Internet. I mean, even though it's a, a, a joint effort. We're all on the same sheet of music. I was a huge proponent of training. We had a training camp in South Jersey at the Federal Air Marshal's facility, multi-million dollar, beautiful space they did after 9-11. I trained all the time. I mean, you gotta train in our world. You talk about being in a war zone. You know, the folks that are part of these task forces, you're in a war zone every day. I mean, think about every morning, you're out there knocking on somebody's door at four o'clock in the morning, not knowing what's on the other side. You better be prepared. And you better be ready. And, and sadly, um, I think it was the year before I retired, uh, we set a record that nobody likes setting. We had more task force officers killed in the line of duty than in the history of the U.S. Marshal Service. We were being ambushed out there. I mean, it was crazy what was happening out there. And, and uh, so our director said, here's a ton of money. Go train. Enough of this. So thank God to Stacey Hilton. She was great. The first female director of the U.S. Marshal Service. Uh, in my latter, latter era, uh, time in, in, the, in the service, I worked for her, and she she was just uh, she was actually the first female special operations group um, operator, which is our national SWAT team. Uh, she was first female on on that uh, unit, but she was great. So she she got it, and we trained. We trained every day, and and if we'd get into a shooting or, or God forbid, some one of our folks would get hit, which I sadly had plenty of, um, you know, the next day they were all in my office and we were talking about it and here's how we need to correct this or what we needed to do. So, and it saves, and it saved lives. Uh, the equipment saves lives. Ballistic shields save lives. Uh, I had one morning, uh, I got a call driving into work at five o'clock in the morning. We had shots fired in Newark, New Jersey. So I responded, um, executing a warrant on a homicide case. Um, they, and it was a week prior to that, I sent the New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey office through training. They all got their ballistic shields. Thank God the the uh, the front guy making the entry had a shield. And when they knocked on the door, because they knocked and he didn't knock back. He shot four times right through the door. The first round hit this guy's glass, the window you look through in a, in a ballistic shield, hit him right square in the shield. What, what do I right between his eyes? Uh, sadly, it spun him around. The next round hit him in the, in the side of the stomach, but saved his life, right. uh, the training. So... Um, you know, and that guy ended up, uh, you know, self-inflicted gunshot wound and we call it time served, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, it was a horrible, horrible morning, but there, you know, I had plenty of those, but guess what? Uh, you know, you got to train, you got to keep these guys sharp, um, tactically sound. The equipment's important. The firearms are important. How to use them is more important. Um, and you know, de-escalation, that's a huge word nowadays. Um, I, I got, I talk people down with my mouth more than I did my gun. And don't get me wrong. My gun was out. I was at an FBI retirement party. I'll tell you a real quick story. Yeah, tell me by all means. And a friend of mine was there. We were going back and forth. And the agent comes over, who I knew. He's, I think he did 21 years. And my friend says to me, he says, yeah, he says, how many times have you had your gun out your, your entire career? You know, he, he was trying to get a story out of him. And, and this guy looked, I won't mention it. He looks at me and goes, you know something? I didn't have my gun out for 20 years. He goes, it's always been in my holster. And the guy looked at me. He says, what about you? I says, I got my gun out 10 times before lunch every day. And I wasn't, I wasn't being sarcastic. It was the truth. I mean, yeah. It was like, you know, and the guy, he looked at me and he kind of, I said, well, I mean, you know, it, 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 that's what we do. I mean, we're there, we're prepared, we're trained. Um, we know how to make an entry. We know how to, you know, get into, get into these rooms because you're in somebody else's turf. They know their own homes or wherever we're at. Uh, we don't, right? I mean, so you're making an entry. You gotta know what you're doing. So again, I'm just—I was a huge proponent of training. We did it all the time, and uh, and we saved lives. 
Yeah, and I agree. Listen, all these people that want to defund the law, <clears throat> let me tell you something. When you have violent, plural, violent offenders in your area and you want them removed, I don't think you're going to do it. You're going to need proper trained law enforcement, period. And by defunding the law enforcement, you're hurting your community, period. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I yeah. hate, this is the truth about humanity. If criminals find an area <clears throat> that's defunded, it's weaker, they're going to prey on the people and in the, in the, in the area. They're going to prey on it. And then what's going to happen is you're going to have your community start to decline because of that. You're going to need the law enforcement to step in. You're going to need the marshals to come there and apprehend these people. And to be honest, you need regular cops too because there's people in the streets. They don't make the sharpest decisions and they'll try to justify their own justice. And that just never comes out well. There's I've never seen an argument on the street that ended with people shaking hands and having a drink after. That just never happens. Well, here's a perfect case in point. Um, I'm trying to remember the year. It was Camden, New Jersey, was ranked number five in the country with the most violent uh, crime uh, in the in the area of Camden. Uh, I'm sorry, in the top five. I think they were number two back back then. So the attorney general was actually the dep the dag, the deputy attorney general, who was James Comey at the time. Uh, he came up and he said, "Listen, we need to do something in Camden, New Jersey." Uh, with our federal agencies. So I got a call and I said, why don't we just do a full court press? Let's let's get as many warrants as you've got and we'll dedicate the manpower and resources, money, whatever we need, equipment. And let's just take a, a solid two weeks and let's go down there and, and, and lock people up and try to put an end to this nightmare that's going on down there. So we put it together. Uh, we executed, uh, we wanted to do 50 warrants. So the most violent warrants that Camden, New Jersey had. Now these were you know, homicide cases, you know, the worst of the worst. So we get down there. <clears throat> I ended up the last day in Camden. We arrested 49 out of 50 fugitives. They picked the guy up for a triple homicide the morning I was there. At five in the morning, we walked him out of his, his house, walking down a street, one of the main streets in Camden, and people were out on their porches, five o'clock in the morning, Adam, and they were cheering. They were clapping. Yeah. They were yeah. yelling. They were like nuts. And I'm looking around, I'm going, what the hell are they doing? It was like, I got chills. I got it right now. I, I mean, don't you believe for a second that these people did not appreciate you taking that drug dealer, that that heroin seller, that, that whatever murderer out of their neighborhoods. They loved every minute of it. And that's when you feel good. That's that's what people need to hear about and see uh, what what these men and women do every day. I mean, they're doing God's work, and it's very unappreciative when you got to hear this the nonsense that's going on now in, 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 in you know today's world. And, and like I said, hopefully it just goes away sooner than later. But I'll never forget that morning, and, and I had a, a stellar career. And I'm not beating my own chest. I mean, for three decades, I you know I did some pretty good work with a lot of great people. But that was one of the highlights of my career when when these folks came out and they were just uh, they were clapping. I thought there was a parade behind me. I had no idea. Um, but, yeah, they were happy as hell. That's a prime example. I mean, think about those people that they're 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 prisoners in their own neighborhood. Right. And that sucks. Yeah. That sucks to say, because you can't walk. To, you can't have your kids play in concern that please God, something don't happen to them. Right. And then if you have a violent offender, again, I say this, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but without police there's no boundaries between you and the violent guy who's going to take full advantage of the idea that there are no police well, these communities are scared to death i mean these, these people are they live in fear they sleep with one eye open they're under a microscope they're being threatened by these narcotic traffickers and gun dealers and murderers and rapists and you know and and they've lived there their whole lives their whole lives they've lived there so yeah. You know, they don't want it. I tell you right now, they don't want it. I live, sadly, I live my life in, in, in you know, in the projects and the ghettos and in the, the vulnerable areas that sadly I had to go to every morning, uh, most every morning, don't get me wrong. And, 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 uh, but I saw it. I lived it. I mean, I, I've been in apartments that, you know, mice are running up and down, you know, the hallways and babies are, are there with dirty diapers and, and I mean, I've seen the worst of the worst. And, and you just, you sit back and say, how can I help? You know, what do I got to do? I mean, when we did the show, Manhunters, I'll, I'll never forget this. I was in the Bronx and the projects up there. And, and I, I went into this building and they were, uh, people recognized me in there. And I'll tell you what, I got more friends <laughs> 
from that show uh, in areas where normally people would be throwing rocks at me at, at four o'clock in the morning off the rooftops uh, because they knew five O was on the block. The yeah. cops were there, you know, and they were there to take one of their own or whatever. Uh, but it was funny that myself, Michi, Rocks, whoever, uh, Peppers, any of the guys that were on the show, they really got a pat on the back. And, and, you know, I was nervous as hell when that show came out because, you know, the weight was on my shoulders. Number one was the director going to be happy with what we were doing. And, and uh, you know, we're funded by Congress. And what is the American people going to think? And and so on and so forth. And, and uh, oh, you have no idea the sleepless nights I had before episode one aired. And, and I'm it sure. Was, uh, yeah. The pressure of the world's on your shoulders for certain. Uh, right? <laughs> forget Forget I had the largest, still do the largest task force of its kind in the world. I'm doing a TV show. And then I got a family that I had to run home to to watch the last inning of my son's baseball game. So, you know, <laughs> it was like, you know, it was nuts. But uh, anyways, I retired a few years ago. So I'm living the life of Riley, doing TV shows now. <laughs> Good. Speaking of which, um, Hunting Hitler. Tell me. Yeah. I, I So I, till I've spoken <clears throat> to you, or I, listen, shout out to Race Hobbs from Unex Network. He's connected us. Yeah, Ray's a great guy. Yep. yep. I was really unaware of that show. And then we'd spoken. I, I sat down and started watching it. And mm -hmm. I, I was a little shocked to find out what's, you know, that's a thing in South America and other parts of the world that this, there's the idea of Nazis have left and they're, they took in camp somewhere. Oh, it, it was, well, when I got a call from Carga 7 was the production company and, and uh, <clears throat> they had found me. And so, listen, here's, here's what we've got. Here's the premise and the outline and, and our vision of, of a show where we're going to, you know, a working title is called Hunting Hitler. And I said, Hunting Hitler? And they said, yeah. And, and of course, the smart ass that I am and everyone else reaction, <laughs> isn't he dead? I mean, hasn't he been dead for 160 years? So and they said, well, yeah, but we've just got some recently released FBI documents that we're working with, some MI5, MI6 documents, post-World uh, War II, all the intel agencies were still looking for Adolf Hitler. Um, you know, as the narrative, or I'm going to say the false narrative went, Adolf Hitler shot himself in the head and Eva Braun took a cyanide pill. That's what you were taught in history class. And the war's over. Move on. Well, I'm here to tell you, that's not what happened. <laughs> so, and I was shocked. And I'm not a history buff, but I was probably sleep. I didn't even know she took a cyanide pill. That's how, you know, how, how much I paid attention to right. in history class. But, but uh, when I first got to Berlin in, in uh, season one, and hooked up with these historians and former police officers. I spoke to some people that were in the Hitler Youth Army at the age of 15 years old. Um, you got to hear the stories that these people can't wait to tell you. And being in the bunkers, there's over 90-something miles of bunkers in Berlin. It, it was fascinating for me to be in these bunkers where Hitler once walked or the Fuhrer bunker itself. Um, and how he escaped and how he, he got out of there on a makeshift runway. I mean, it just was endless in this investigation that we did uh, for three years. I thought it would be a, a one and done type of thing. Okay, I'll do it. How many episodes? You know, and I'm laughing, oh, you know, one season, then I'll move on. This thing went on for three years. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we, investigation, I was in Chile, I was South America, Berlin, all over Norway, um, and the folks I work with, Tim Kennedy, I don't know if you know him. Yeah, before. Tim Kennedy, you could see in his face, there's a couple of times where I saw his face, you could see the absolute anger in him that this is even a thing, right? And that's one guy you don't want to get angry. Either. No, he's no, not at all. Yeah, that guy's a, he's an yeah. MME, MME yeah. fighter. He's a belt carrier. I mean, he's a heavy, yeah. he's a... He's a, he's a well-rounded machine for real. Uh, <laughs> so. It still is. I mean, he's, yeah, he's definitely a, a warrior uh, to put it mildly, but what a great guy. Good investigator. Well, he's um, smart too. Bear. He's, he's not just a, a, a fighting machine. He's an intelligent person. Oh, sharp as can be. You got Like I say, you got to get up a little earlier in the morning and put one over on him. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's, he's good at what he does, but they put together a great team. Bob Bear, former CIA operative. Uh, uh, he had the lead in, in a, uh, in the studio out in LA and, you know, I work with a couple of guys, uh, Mike Simpson. Uh, he was also a former Green Beret. Um, and uh, Gerard Williams. Gerard wrote the book. Um, Greg, Gray, uh, was it Gray Go? Gray. Oh, oh, my. Oh, God. Oh, dear. I shouldn't have <laughs> kill me. But, anyways, uh, he wrote the book about Hitler. So he was very instrumental in, in uh, putting, you know, putting that puzzle together and connecting the dots. But, you know, as time went on and as these, these uh, documents were released, I mean, Stalin. All, all these leaders, they were looking for him post-war. They knew he got out. 
the big question is, where did he go? I mean, this guy, you know, give the devil his due, Hitler. He was a forward thinker. Um, I was in these these bunkers and, and all over Berlin. These, these Germans, they know how to build things, man. They, I mean, they, these walls were six to eight feet of solid concrete. I think our bunker busters today couldn't blow these things up. That's nuts. Uh, the way they were built. But yeah, so anyways, it was a great, it was a great uh uh, three seasons, Hunting Hill is on History Channel. In fact, it's still airing. You know, I think you find it somewhere. But it, it was good. It was their number one show for a while. Yeah, I mean, there's that that village in uh in South America that's basically another another Germany, right? Oh, you know how many Nazis ended up down in in Argentina and down in South America? How did Thousands. you like? How did high you rank, that? High ranking Nazis. There was a guy by the name of Walter Roth. He was the he was the um, uh, head of the, um, uh, the, um, the Gestapo uh, in Italy, he ended up, he's the guy that invented the mobile gas chamber. He killed over 100,000 people in Germany, uh, Jewish people. So he ended up in Chile uh, in in, uh, in the 70s where, um, uh, what's his name, Pedersche? Uh, Who was the, the uh, leader in? Yeah, in Pe- yeah, 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 I know. So, so I, Pedersche, I, I can't pronounce it. Let me look it up. <laughs> Yeah, but anyways, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, they wanted to extradite him. They, they wouldn't get him out of there. I spoke to somebody that, that was tortured by him in one of the episodes. And uh, when I was in Chile, he took us to, to the camps that he was in. And it was just some bone-chilling, um, you know, results that we got from this investigation. But uh, um, it, it was interesting as hell. And like I said, I wasn't by any stretch of the imagination a, a historian or was into any of that. But Boy, I was fascinated every place they sent me and, and the people I worked with, the interviews that I did, the places I saw, you just shake your head. Hitler yeah. did not die. He did not die in that bunker. He ended up living a, probably five or six years later. He had he had a lot of lot of issues. I mean, his health was terrible. Um, and uh, rumor has it, according to Gerard, uh, that Eva Braun lived to 2001. Wow. So we were hoping to continue on with the show, but, you know, and, and you know what happens in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> they change, uh, shift gears at a moment's notice. They go on to something else. So. Yeah, you hit a narrative and all of a sudden it's like, well, it's time for a new design, right? It's terrible. That's it. Yep. What, yep. Were, what were your feelings? So, like, I, honestly, I think, you know, the main reason they picked you up for that show is your tracking ability, right? Your ability to track people. I mean, that was it. They they kind of put me out there as one of the best manhunters in the world and my background and so on. So, yeah, they, you know, they need somebody that could connect those dots, you know, looking at an investigation. You know, it's all about collection, right, Adam? It's it's human yeah. intelligence, signal intelligence. Of course, back then there were no cell phones and whatnot. But, you know, there were radio operated areas that we had to look at and antennas. And was it possible to get a radio transmission from an aircraft to here and there? So there's a lot that went on uh, when we were downrange working with professionals and people in different areas of, of expertise um, and subject matter experts. Um, you know, and it, it made too much sense. That's the best part. It's all about truth, logic and common sense in my world. So, right. you know, it, it, it's really when you look at something like this, and you take a case like this. And that false narrative that continued and still does, I mean, till today, I mean, we kind of changed a few people's minds, but... Um, well, certainly you know, mine. <laughs> there's well, a lot yeah, I was unaware I mean, of, too. If you take a look at those episodes we did for three seasons, you'll, you'll, you'll scratch your head. I mean, it's one of these things where I sat back and said, you know what? Prove us wrong. <laughs> so, you know, prove it, prove us wrong. Here's yeah. what we've got. Uh, you figure it out. Well, so. the fact there's a place in, in the middle of South America that's basically second Germany. Wow. Right. I didn't even know that existed. Uh, <laughs> so. I was in a cemetery in South America and, and, and they, they had renovated it. And they over this wall that I climbed on top of and behind the wall was the biggest swastika you've ever seen in your life. That was, oh, man. was made yeah. out of made out of rock at the cemetery in South America. It was filled with Germans. So, yeah. Oh, it was just insane what happened. Uh, you know, and General Franco in Spain, he's supposed to be a neutral country. BS. He was Hitler's right hand man. Um, and, you know, so there was a whole lot that went on uh, with respect to Spain and and, uh, and what the Nazis were using as, as ports of entry and, and refueling and replenishing. And and it was interesting, like uh, to say the least. I won't bore you with it. But, yeah, no, you no, get, I mean, a, chance, get look, a chance to watch that. <laughs> I'm going to watch it again and again. I'm going to encourage people to watch it. Listen, I, I this is a treat for me to sit here and listen to you. You know what I mean? So there is no boredom on my end. February 12th or February 9th. I, I, I got to get the exact date. I did another show called um, Who Really Shot Abe Lincoln? You want to talk about an interesting uh, um, show concept. It's going to be on. I did it for Fox Nation. I don't know if you're familiar with that platform. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Uh, 
Yeah, so it's on. It'll be on Fox Nation in February. It's called "Who Really Shot Abe Lincoln?" John Wilkes Booth did not pull that trigger on a single shot Derringer to kill the President of the United States. You got to watch this. The stuff that I uncovered with another fella. You have no idea what went on that night. Oh my God, and, I got to see that now. Yeah, write that down and tell your audience to tune in on Fox Nation. Who really shot Abe Lincoln? It airs. It drops, I believe, February 9th or February twelfth. Um, but I can confirm that with you. Yeah, I'm writing that down. I'm going to put that. In, I'm going to put that in the description as well. What yeah, uh, yeah. before we close? Uh, well, one one thing I'm going to throw something I'm going to do at you. I'm I'm reaching out to more and more law enforcement. Right? I've had you know Cloyd Steiger on, Mike Sesniak. I've had right. some detectives on. I'm going to be reaching out to more law enforcement agencies about having cold cases and missing person cases on the show mm-hmm. in the hopes that someone listens. And you know, I need this works, man. It takes one person to hear the show. I'm like, wait a minute that I, I think I know something about that. And then you never know where that goes from there. Right. It might open up a, sure. who knows? So a bunch of engineers out there. You're, no, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of it stems from something personal from childhood where, you know, someone was murdered and nothing ever came of it. And I, I always wondered why, why did nothing come? And the answer to me was, well, it's, it's yesterday and it's really doesn't have the interest of anyone right now, you know, and it's long gone and leads might be dead or whatever. And it's usually, it's not about closure. It's about peace of mind for, for, sure. the, for the families. So I'm definitely going to be reaching out to more detectives. I'm definitely going to be reaching out to more agencies to, you know, say, Hey, listen, come on here, speak about the cold cases, speak about the, the missing persons. And let's hope to get that something, someone hears something. I'm not asking for present day or, or, you know, active cases. I know how that goes. Criminals will listen. They'll they'll use it against them. I get that. You know, there's no doubt. Well, uh, let me, let me interrupt you real quick. I mean, thank you, first of all, for that. I mean, bringing folks on that are in this world and and are downrange every day doing this type of work. I mean, that's a, that's a blessing in disguise. Timing's everything, Adam. I just signed a contract with Amazon and I'm doing a show where I'm the lead in this show. And it's all about cold cases. The first case we're doing is the Black Dahlia. Uh, Elizabeth Short. I don't know if you remember that yeah, case, yep, familiar. California case where she was cut in half. What a gruesome crime scene that was. We've got some interesting things that are unfolding with that. And then our, uh, Amazon's picked us up for a pilot, an episode. We're trying to get eight episodes there. The second case uh, between me you and the fence post <laughs> and all your listeners yeah. uh, is, is Jimi Hendrix. And he was not, he did not die from an overdose and it's really going to be some interesting cases that we're we're putting on amazon so i'll be more than happy to help you out with some of this cold case stuff and maybe yeah. we can talk again on here yeah Lenny, i'll have you on as often as you want you do, for you it's a phone call right in a heartbeat that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, I, always, I always return my calls you never know <laughs> yeah I mean, look, again another <laughs> shout out to race hobbs i'm glad for the connection sir Ray Sab's a great guy. Yeah, absolutely. And and then, you know, I'm not busy enough. My wife was in the fashion business and, and uh, she decided during the early onset of COVID that she wanted to stand up a tactical clothing line. So I did launch that. Uh, it's called Dark 30 and I have a website. If you don't mind, I'll throw it out there. No, buy, pull whatever uh, you want on here. It's your platform, man. <laughs> it's it's uh, the letter O and then dark, D-A-R-K, the number 30. So odark30.com. Right now, we're just got a bunch of T-shirts and hoodies and stuff, hats on there uh, just to try to get some brand recognition. But we're doing a full tactical clothing line, soup to nuts, boots, pants, jackets, you name it. We'll have it and uh, should be interesting. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going in 20 different directions, Adam. Well, that's you know, look, man, that's you got that that uh, that go getter spirit. And you're going to keep that. That's, I mean, look, you're getting any younger though. You know what I mean? I mean I, you know, youth is one of those things that you, you just settle on getting older, right? Some people just settle on it. I don't see that with you, right? You're, you're always, you're on the go. Like every time I've spoken to you so far, you're on the go doing something. So, and it's, well, a, it's yeah, I hope well, to be the same I, way. I hope to be the same way. You will be. Time waits for no man. But like you said, you're, you're as old as you feel. My father once told me that getting old is not for cowards. So I, I got to keep going. And, and, uh, and I still got a little guy that I'm coaching in football and he keeps me young. So yeah, it's all good. It's all positive. Just need to stay healthy and, and stay safe in today's crazy craziness. What about for the youth of today? They want to get involved with being, uh, again, uh, I'm going to highlight the, the show Manhunter. So I'm going to get that in the links too. Let's say they want to get involved with law enforcement. They want to get to be the status of a, of a marshal. What are the measures? Just, like what? what like they, I, I, I would give any advice. My daughter, I have a daughter who's a junior in college in North Carolina. She's majoring in criminal justice. Now she's not a street cop. She's more into the cyber stuff and 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 uh, you know the computer fraud 
kind of thing. And God bless her. She loves it. I would encourage anyone to, to focus on, on that. Keep yourself clean. Keep yourself in shape. Any of these federal agencies, you know, they put you through these intense, you know, I want to say boot camps. And then, you know, physically and, of course, mentally and as far as academically, you got to stay sharp, keep your grades up and whatnot. Any agency you apply for on the federal side, there's a prerequisite. You do need a four-year degree to become a federal agent. That's an 1811, which is a criminal investigator within the government. That's what I was. Um, and, you know, nowadays, a lot of competition. I mean, we get 50,000, 60,000 applicants, and, and they push through one class of 40. So it's, you know, it, it's difficult. Um, and, you know, the hiring process, that that in itself is an art. When You know, if you get as far as the, the interview itself, you got a three-person panel interview, Um you know, a lot of it is the obvious, how you present yourself, how you respond to questions. I sat on the interview panel in New York City for seven years, and some of the, the, the applicants that would come in was ranged from anywhere from Rambo uh, to the most meek and mild person that wouldn't pull a trigger on a gun if their life depended on it or their partner. So I've seen both ends of the spectrum, you know, right. and it was it was interesting um, you know, to sit there and it's a structured interview, but then we went offline and I put them in real life situations that I've been in just to see how they would react. And you just got, we, we want to see you use your head. I mean, it's all about thinking. It's all about, you know, get on your radio, call for backup. You don't always have to pull your weapon. You don't always have to pull that trigger. You know, I would put them in no-win situations just to see them react. One of them was where, you, you know, you hit you hit a door at old dark 30 in the morning. The fugitive runs into the bedroom. You run behind him. You got him on his bed. He's subdued. Everything's fine. You're getting clothes on him, and the closet door opens up, and it's his 13-year-old little girl with a gun saying, let my daddy go. What are you going to, you know, or I'm going to kill you. What are you going to do? Yeah. And you're the partner standing at the bedroom door, and you got you got the little girl at gunpoint. You're going to shoot her, and it's a no-win situation. Yeah, I'm going to shoot her. Okay, well, good. You shoot her the next morning, and the front page of the New York Post says, you know, U.S. Marshal kills 13-year-old girl with a water pistol. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. So it just, you know, you care, but you want to see how somebody's going to react. You know, well, I can't shoot her. Well, you can. Okay, now now your partner's dead. Go tell his wife that. You know, but so, but you just want to see. Uh, so you got to think out loud, think outside the box. You know, again, your record's got to be clean. You know, driving's yeah. important. You don't need no drunk driving. <laughs> Stay away from drugs. Have fun in college, whatever you do. Uh, but there's, you know, there's there's a limitation to everything. So, um, you know, everything in moderation, I would say. And I yeah. tell my kids, show. I always tell like my all my kids, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That's true. Yeah, you know, <laughs> something my father said to me a long time ago made sense. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. That. Like, I'm excited for it. I want to get. I really want to get the word out there. Really, I, I honestly, above some of the other shows you do, I think you should definitely. I don't know, influence another manhunter. I think I can't say it enough. How important? Oh, we I tried. I, I just got done pitching NBC, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I want to jinx myself with a, with another production company. Uh, all about the U.S. Marshals and and uh, even historical cases and whatnot, or breaking cases. They were very interested on the pitch. Um, I got a message this morning saying this is our week. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I don't want to tell you what, where, or who, but <laughs> hopefully we can uh, get the backing of the agency. The Marshal Service wants positive press. Our public affairs folks, they, you know, I call them every day. And they're, they're you know, historian, Dave Turk, great guy. Um, he knows everything, you know, about the U.S. Marshal Service forever. He's on board with me. So I got the people backing me up, which you don't get that in the real world. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's very difficult for a production company to go down to the U.S. Marshal Service, FBI, and say, hey, guys, hi, I'm here to make a TV show. They slam the door in your face. Now, if I were to do that, they listen to me. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> right. And, and because, I, you know what, I've proven not only myself, but others that, we want positive stuff for law enforcement and they trust me. So yeah, it's the networks though. You know, everybody's so worried about cops. <laughs> so, yeah. And the agenda uh, and social media like that. Oh so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have but to you know something that Adam, I'm going to tell you, no, nobody likes a warrior until, you know, until the enemy's at the gate and, oh, and, then, yeah. uh, and then, you know, they're your best friend. So I don't care what anyone says to you or anyone. They're all full of, you know, what, yeah. <laughs> because, uh, like I just said, nobody likes a warrior until the enemy's at the gate. Yeah, you know who else said that was uh, Achilles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Same well, thing. I'm like, sure. yeah, I'm 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 unnecessary till I'm necessary. 
Well, there you go. It's the truth. Sadly, it is. <laughs> I mean, because who else is going to do it? Not, you know, well, uh, not many. Yeah, and, like and, these people uh, running around pointing cameras and starting provoking still, issues. Yeah, like yeah. when the murderers show up, you get your camera pointed at that guy. Let me know how that works out. Well, you saw the rioting that went on last year and whatnot. And then and then when the when the defecation hit the ventilation, who did they call? Somebody called the police. Somebody yeah. called 911. I'm yep. sitting, I'm watching television. I'm just laughing. I'm like, are they real? Is this real? <laughs> Actually, yeah, they, 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 an episode of uh, you know NCIS. This is crazy. Yeah, they call for chaos, and then when chaos is served, they they don't know what to do about it. And that's again, run. it's terrible. It's a ter- it's a terrible. I'm, I pray that this turns mm-hmm. around sooner than later. It's needed, especially now. Oh, it will. Not yeah, just yeah, that, will. but here's yeah. another message for people: for our enemies that are overseas that we call enemy, or or whether they we know they're enemy or not, this is yeah. pure entertainment for them. We're doing them a favor. Right. Yeah, but you know something? We got some pretty good warriors that are on our side, and I still keep my finger on the pulse. I still do stuff with the government, and I, I, you know, I get a little bit of a better uh, insight than, than the average person, and we are still feared, even though whether you like this administration or not, yes, on an international stage, we're not looking that good right now, uh, sadly, right. Uh, but they still fear us because, <laughs> because of the real Tim Kennedys of the world that are out there. Yeah, man. You know, listen, I have no political position whatsoever. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a neutral, right? And yeah. I have this saying I live by. It's if you if you want a religion, humanity. If you want a race, human. And if you want a place of origin, call it Earth. You know, let's let's make it simple. Well said. No, I, I'm 100% behind you. I just cannot stand the way people just try to provoke uh, the, this, this, this craziness. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I am not prejudiced. I I've worked with everyone in my entire career. I've arrested all different colors, shapes, and sizes. It doesn't matter to me. And people ask me that all the time. I'm like, Hey guys, you know, I'm knocking on mom's door at five o'clock and I tell mom, listen, I, no one invited me here. Your son did. He's the one that killed three people. What are you yelling at me for? Right. You know, it's kind of like, and, and it's just, uh, you know, these people that, I mean, the race card thing, that, that's on life support. Get, get over it. We're America. We're all together here, people. Yeah. I mean, let's do this. How about 9-11 when everybody came together in New York City, we were hugging and kissing. Let's get back to that. I mean, let's laugh and have some fun and protect the good old U.S. of A because God bless America. There's no other no other country like it. Stop trying to, stop, or stop, uh, trying to ruin us because... Uh, that's what some of these people are doing. For what reason? I have no idea. It's bizarre. And that's why I, rever- I keep going back to Manhunters. That show changed a lot of me. You see you and, yeah. and, and the group of people you had. That's the face of American law enforcement right there. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? That well, diversity's there. The, the kinship's there. Right. It was perfection in my eyes. Well, we don't see, we didn't see color. We didn't, we didn't see uh, gender. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't care. We wanted to go home alive, laugh and have some fun. And, and we knew when to get serious. And, and that was the best part. So, um, you know, we enjoyed ourselves. It was, it was a positive, positive show. I think the bad guys even liked us. Yeah, of course they did. <laughs> I mean, it was, I think, I, I'm glad you said that. There was an episode where one of the guys being apprehended, he knew it was you guys. And I, I could see him glance at the camera a little bit, like he was smiling. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, well, I can't tell you how many times that happened to me where, you know, and I'm talking about bad people, murderers, I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. and, and, but once they're apprehended and, and you could take the most vicious, you know, uh, person out there, fugitive, whatever, and they become so meek and mild and kind of appreciate that it's over, that they're on the run. You know, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of suicide by cops people out there. There's a lot of people who take their own lives and or shoot it out with you or whatever. But thank God on the average, you know, most of these people, um, you know, they kind of throw their hands up and say, all right, I screwed up. I'll, I'll, I'll go to court and hope for the best. You know, yeah. so, hey, we go on to the next, uh, you know, 5,000 cases. It's just for us, it's a job. Yeah, I mean, you, you set the gold standard as far as law enforcement, right? And you had it. Yeah. You had someone like Pep on the show for me, very relatable. Right, that guy was—he was out in New Jersey. He was a, a detective. Uh, he was just his approach to everything was—I I identified with him. I remember that a lot. I, I loved watching him and you guys. Like, yeah, yeah. Pepper's one of the best. I mean, he's still a good friend. We still talk today. And he, you know, he's in Newark, New Jersey. You don't get any crazier than that place. No, no, <laughs> I mean, honestly. And, you know, he, he hit the ground running, Pep, and and uh, just a pleasure to work with. Knew his stuff. Uh, I'd go through any door with him any time, any day, any time of the day. It didn't matter. Uh, and again, all the, all the folks that, that worked uh, back in the, you know, with me back on that show or even in the office, all 350 of them. 
you know, I vetted them all and, and, and brought them on board. And these, these people are warriors. I mean, they're up, you know, seven days a week, holidays, weekends. Uh, and again, we hit the ground running after 9-11 and they are still going. And it's, you know, it's been a little bit of a speed bump, I'll say, with what's going on the last couple of years. But they're still doing God's work and they're still taking these violent predators off the streets of America. And that's what it's all about. And they're needed and appreciated, man. I I appreciate well, it. I thank you. Thank you. I salute you for your kind words and everything else. And, and, and I'm hoping there's others out there that listen to this, you know, this podcast and, and just carry on because, uh, Hey, we're just here to, to make, uh, to make these communities a safe place. And thank God there's people that are out there doing this type of work. Yeah. And it's needed. We need it bad. And I, I would really like to help spread that message too. Yeah. Well, people are starting to wake up, especially in these, these areas that were shut down and defund the police. And that kind of went South in this last election and look at Virginia. I mean, people are just waking up and enough's enough. This yeah. is America. Nobody wants a, you know, a good American doesn't want a progressive America. They want to, they want to all get along. Let's have some fun and, and bring it back to the Reagan era. That, you know, I'm prejudiced. I worked with president Reagan for years and, and, uh, you know, peace through strength and, and, uh, let's move on. So I'm hoping I'm praying every day. Yeah. Even Reagan said it himself, uh, uh, you know, in the, in, you know, in the face of like an alien invader, we definitely have to side with all of us, right? We would have only <laughs> us because they're not going to care about your color or your, or your religion or your policy. Right. You know, they don't care about that. If they're coming here to be evil, well, they're not going to yeah. care what the differences are. They're going to handle us as all the same. You talk about a guy with charisma. I mean, Ronald Reagan walked in a room. He just glowed. He had this aura about him. I don't care if it was Gandhi, Margaret Thatcher, uh, Gorbachev. I was there for all of them in the White House. And, and this guy, with the way he, he you know, he was very personable, but the, the joking and the, you know, and even when he got serious and whatnot, he was just a, what a hell of a, a hell of a guy. I was so, I was so proud to be part of that administration. Do you miss that ever? Like be, uh, just being a part of Secret you know, Service? I, I miss the, I miss the, the, the camaraderie. Um, you know, I stayed friendly with like Oliver North. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and folks from that era, um, and again, I was just, I was with the Secret Service. I was a nobody. I'm not a politician, but I'm not one of these agents that stood there with an earpiece in my ear or in uniform at the time. And just, you know, I wasn't, when President Reagan, when I had a real quick story, when a when head of state would come into town, he would do his thing with him or her in the morning uh, in the Oval or uh, tell you Roosevelt Room, wherever. And then at night, they would have a state dinner. And Reagan, being a Hollywood guy, he would invite you know, the Clint Eastwoods and the Raquel Welches of the world <laughs> yep. to come to dinner to impress the, the head of state. And I would purposely put in for overtime just to, <laughs> just to work those, those state dinners. And, and uh, you know, from, there was one person in the, in, during his eight years that had a family pass, a family badge, they used to have to wear badges around their neck back in those days to get into the white house. There was only one of the Maureen Reagan stayed in the Lincoln, in the Lincoln bedroom. The other kids did not stay there just the president, the first lady on the living quarters. And then Maureen stayed in the Lincoln bedroom back in those days. One other person had a family badge to get into the white house. Who do you think that was? I was you. I'm hoping, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, talking about, I'm talking about a real celebrity, a real celebrity. <laughs> if I had to guess for that era of Reagan, real celebrity. Yeah. God, I, wanna, one I wanna say only Michael Jackson. Person. Nope. There's only one person that had a family past. You know who it was? Huh. Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra. No way. Frank Sinatra? Frank Sinatra wow. was there. Nancy loved him. And he he had a family badge to get into the way. He was the only one. And used to see him all the time. But anyways, the point being is Reagan was such a, a charismatic uh, 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 person and he could he could tell stories. There was a head of state there one night. Ronald Reagan wore two hearing aids. Not, not a lot of people knew that. So one night, I forgot the head of state that was in town. I was working. I was in the back kitchen where he came down the back elevator, goes through the kitchen and into the state dining room. So I get over my radio. You know, he, his his code name was Rawhide. So Rawhide was coming down. Uh, so the <laughs> yeah, that was his his uh, call sign. So he comes down and the elevator opens up and, and Ray Shattuck was the special agent in charge. He was the guy always with President Reagan and all those photos you see. So Ray comes down. How you doing? I says, great. Good evening. Good evening, Mr. President. You see, he nods his head. He's all dialed up, you know, with his black tie. He takes about three steps in the kitchen. He turns around. He takes both of his hearing aids out of his ears and hands them to Ray Shattuck. He winks at me and walks into the party. <laughs> <laughs> 
So the head of state, he sat next to that, and I, I purposely am watching him. He could have gave away the candy store that night. He was laughing, nodding his head. He had no idea what the guy was saying. He didn't want to hear nothing. <laughs> but that's the kind of guy he was. You know, he was more interested in the score of the baseball game than, than politics. That sounds like fun. Is that, I mean, that was a fun administration. That's what we need. That's what we, we need yeah. that nowadays. That's what we need. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. we badly need that because now it's there's an agenda behind everything now. It's, it's crazy. You know? Yeah. Used to be just about what can we do for the Americans as opposed to, you know, what could I say to make sure I'm more popular than the other guy? You know, that's it's terrible that it's gone that way. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm hoping in the next I don't know, I hope this year, sometime we wake up from what it is that we're under right now because the, the division is it's frightening. Uh well, I, I hate watching. Yeah. I was kidding, but it is all about divide and conquer, and it just doesn't work well. I mean, none of this Marxism, socialism, that, that doesn't work anywhere. Look around. I mean, it's just insane. And I don't know why, you know, the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, yeah. there, was, there was nothing wrong with the good old America that I'm aware of anyway. Well, social media came along, and it, 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 the, the idea of persons being an individual and more relevant than the next started happening. That's 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 what that's transpired. It. It's, it's sad to say. You know, go yeah. back to playing baseball, hang out with your friends, put a phone down. Right, uh, right. One could only hope. I was just going to say the same thing. You know, baseball, apple pie, and hot dogs. <laughs> That's yeah. what it was all about. So. Just get out there like that. When I was a kid, you didn't see me. My parents said, I was out. I was out doing something. Man playing, man, believe it or not, one of the keywords, manhunt, playing yeah. baseball, football, whatever. So it's out doing things. You just had to be home when the streetlights came on. That's Probably. right. Well, Lenny, Adam, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, sir. it's absolutely been a pleasure. We will definitely do this again. Anytime you need a platform, you want to come on and talk about anything, let me know. You got it. It's uh, it'll work out great. It was it was, and I, I salute you and thank you for uh, you know for your positive uh, look at law enforcement and all you can do for the men and women that are doing this type of work. I mean, they they certainly need it. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I I thank you for your for I thank you for being on the show. I can't thank you enough. I I appreciate your time, Lenny. You're welcome. Anytime. Have a good night, sir. You too.